And welcome back to another edition of what I like to call from nonsense to God sense. We take a look at some of the things that goes on in this world. And we look at it through a biblical perspective, maybe try to make some sense out of some of the things. In, in past conversations, obviously, the biggest thing that has been afflicting us is the uh, coronavirus and, and talking about things that have been related to that and how it's affected our lives. We've talked about uh, the uncertainties of life, death, taxes. We've uh, talked about Easter a couple weeks ago, and, and we've kind of been building on that theme of Easter where we've been... Uh, going from Easter and then talking about dreams and how Jesus came back after the resurrection and and showed himself, appeared to his disciples. And, and we're going to carry the conversation a little bit further this week. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about kind of like the power. You know, we, we like to have power. We like to discuss power, whether it's a power suit, a power job, power business. But that's not the type of power we're talking about. We've talked about dreams and we've talked about visions. We've talked about, you know, psychics and, and magic and some of that might seem powerful, and some of it could be true, and some of it could be of the devil, demonic, and that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit that visited upon the disciples upon the ascension of Jesus going into heaven and how we can take that and have that power here on earth as we go through. It might not be as dramatic as what we read in the Bible, but there are some things that we can definitely be a part of. And with me, joining the conversation, like he does every week, Dan Delzell. And Dan, thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks for having me, son. I guess it's a good thing if you keep coming back. <laughs> well, I hope so. You know, I know I sure enjoy these visits. And, uh, you know, as I told you uh, many times, you know, I just really appreciate all of your insights and just, uh, you know, the different topics that um, you find interesting because, uh, that, that so overlaps with so many things that I'm thinking about as a pastor. And, and so it's just been great to, uh, you know, obviously get to know one another and, and to be able to talk about, you know, things that are uh, of the greatest importance, uh, you know, in the universe. Yeah. Dan is an author of articles on the christianpost.com and he's also a pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska. And, and Dan, when we take a look at, you know, kind of the events after Easter, you know, we all like to celebrate Easter. And unfortunately this year from a church going perspective, we weren't able to celebrate Easter like we usually do in the past. And, you know, maybe there wasn't the Easter egg hunts and the baskets and the, and the gatherings with family this year, but, but that doesn't mean that the message doesn't continue. That doesn't mean that, that Easter and the resurrection of Jesus didn't exist. It didn't take a year off. And one of the things that I found fascinating as we've been talking, and I've just kind of been doing some reading on, on the post-resurrection, is just how much Jesus has been um, still human, but we, we see a transformation. We see him go from something that is to come to now something that has happened. And one of the most interesting correlations, which uh, if we talk about numbers and people like numbers, you know, we're in day 38 or 39 of a lockdown across the country because of this virus. And Jesus spent 40 days on earth, and then there was change. He went to heaven, the Holy Spirit came, and then the disciples went out. And I just find that kind of interesting that the correlation, because we're approaching 40 days, and yeah. does that mean that change is coming? I don't know. But it was just uh, in those 40 days, though, Jesus did a lot. He empowered his disciples, and they went out, and they were able to then spread the gospel message um, based on the things that they witnessed and then the power that they received through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, if I think about all of those events, Don, you know, it just amazes me how many times in the Bible you can connect the dots. And, and how much of what's going on at one point in the Bible was either prophesied about or connected very directly with something God has done previous to that leading up to, you know, the events that were taking place. Uh, for example, you know, after Jesus's death and resurrection, uh, John writes in the 20th chapter that um, when Jesus uh, was talking to his disciples, one day he said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I find that incredibly interesting for a number of reasons. But one of the things there, Son, is that Jesus simply breathed on them. And the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who, as you mentioned uh, a moment ago, um, was going to be poured out on Pentecost. You know, Pentecost had not happened yet. But um, it, was, it was getting closer to that day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. 
but but here this was just kind of a little bit of a of a foretaste of what was to come and and it was through Jesus breathing on them and you know um almost like in the movie the passion of the christ where Jesus is carrying his cross and his mother is is watching in the movie here this uh, just horrendous thing happening um to her son and to our savior and then her mind goes back to when um when Jesus was young and at home and just the, the times that they spent as mother and son. And, uh, and so Mel Gibson did, of course, such an amazing job with that movie. But, but my mind here in John 20 goes back all the way back to the second chapter of the Bible, Son, because uh, in Genesis 2, verse 7, we're told, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And, and so the, the, the power of God to breathe upon um, dust and, and turn it into uh, a human being, um, the power of Jesus, uh, the, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, to breathe upon the disciples and to have the Holy Spirit flow to them. Um, what an amazing uh, connection there that is. And, and I'll tell you one, one last thing on that, too. On is that John 20, of course, is the, the very book, uh, there, the Gospel of John, that begins the same way that Genesis begins. Um, you know, in Genesis, it begins, of course, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1 1 is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So even that points to a, a uh, well, it, it points to a time, if you will, before time began. It, it points to um, basically eternity past. It, it, it points to um, a, a time span when the angels were created back in that uh, sometime in that in the beginning time. You know, um, you, you'll hear sometimes people ask the question, um, "Well, who created God?" And I love what John Lennox, uh, the mathematician at Oxford, the Christian apologist. You know, John Lennox just nails this and so many other questions with just such um, tact and beauty and, and excellence. But he says, you know, that very question, who created God, it, it, it assumes that God is a created being. And you, you can't ask that question about God because the Bible never, um, never suggests that God is a created being. He is an eternal being um, without beginning, without end. Uh, he has always existed. And so without going too far down on that, and there, as you can see, all of these different doctrines, I mean, the nature of God and, and the, uh, the, the doctrine of the Trinity and, and just, you know, Old Testament uh, connection to New Testament, all of these things start to spill out once you, you know, start to unravel just a little bit. But um, I just marvel that here Jesus is breathing on the disciples. And, and uh, you know, I said one last thing. Um, you mentioned, Son, about the 40 days, okay? Um, it's interesting in the Bible that, that God does things very intentionally. But, but let's take those 40 days now, Son, and, and let's multiply that um, and, and get up to a number of 4,000 years. And the reason I say that is because that's how long the Bible uh, gives us as a timeline from the time when God breathed into man the breath of life until we get here to the point where Jesus is now breathing on the disciples. 4,000 years, uh, you know, and almost all of that, 99.9% of that was Old Testament history. Um, and then just the, the New Testament, the few years the New Testament then had been underway. But, but so God's people waited 4,000 years um, for the one who breathed in man, the breath of life, to fulfill the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And so, as we'll talk today, I know... The disciples had to wait just a little while from the time of Christ's death and resurrection to the, t to the day of Pentecost, and, and yet even that waiting was very intentional for the purpose of uh, God pouring out the Holy Spirit. So uh, excuse the uh, extra long answer and thoughts there, Sam, but yeah, there's just so much there and so many dots you can connect. Well, I like that correlation between Genesis, and then that leads me to believe the conspiracy theorist in me that from the point of when... Uh, Jesus breathed into the disciples, we go 4,000 years. Does that mean Jesus is coming again? 
you know. And well, so, I, you know, I tell you, so I, know, I know that's not the case yeah. because the Bible yeah. says no man knows. Right. But you know, it, it's, it, you start right. to wonder right. because, like you said, there are so many intentional yeah. things in there. And we've talked about in the past. Yeah. You know, we've talked about in the past where people want to know. You know, we're humans. The inquiring minds that's want right. to know. So we don't well, know. Right. Therefore, we go to psychics. Therefore, we seek out numerologists. Therefore, we go to the tarot cards, you know, Ouija boards, because we want to know. Yeah. And sometimes the Bible is just full of mysteries, and we're not going to know. But like you said, the answers, yeah. too, are in there. And sometimes when you make this correlation like you did with Jesus breathing into the yeah. disciples, and you compare that to, yeah. you know, God breathing into the dust making man, the Bible does yeah. connect things, and there are connections, and there are answers in there. The only problem is sometimes we don't want to spend the time reading it, and so we miss out on those answers, and we try to seek them someplace else. Well, that's exactly right, Son. And, and you know, one thing today is that, you know, so many people rely so heavily upon, you know, scientific evidence. And, and well, we should, you know, in, in, you know, virtually every area of life. I mean, um, there really isn't an area where, uh, you know, science cannot, cannot benefit us. But, but at the same point, we don't understand, and I love the word you used a moment ago, we don't understand all the mysteries. For example, um, you notice when I, when I said a moment ago that there's 4,000 years of Old Testament history, um, the one thing I didn't say with that though, is that, um, is that the age of the earth, we know for a fact to be 4,000 years old. The reason I say that son is Christians historically have not been, um, overly dogmatic on the age of the earth. In fact, and I think you and I have talked about this, but I, I wrote a little piece a number of years ago called open-ended creationism where, um, you know, when you look at the front end of day one, and the back end of day seven, they're both open-ended. Um, so when the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, um, again, think about John. And John 1.1 helps to answer Genesis 1.1. That's a key um, principle of biblical interpretation. You know, your, your hermeneutics uh, are how you, how you interpret Scripture. And, and you can't just pull out one verse and come up with some brand new doctrine and, you know, no, you have to let scripture interpret scripture. And so when John 1, 1 says in the beginning was the word, I mean, I don't know anybody who would say that, well, that's saying that, you know, 6,000 years ago was the word. No, nobody would even think that. And so why so many people have gotten hung up on only the only you know, acceptable interpretation in the minds of some is a young earth, you know, relatively, you know, uh, you know, roughly 6,000 years old. Well, you know what? Um, the front end is left open-ended, you know. And uh, you know there was a, uh, a famous senator from here in Nebraska who ran for president three times. In fact, he argued uh, at the Scopes Monkey Trial um, against evolution. But but he was pressed on this point about, well, you know, are you saying that the Earth is just six thousand years old? And he would not commit to that because we don't know the age of the Earth. That's God's business, just like the age of the angels is God's business. Uh, it, it's, it's above our pay grade to know how old the earth is, but he has this great quote, Son, and I would, I would really uh, encourage anybody who's ever getting into a discussion with somebody on this issue, uh, to, you know, they might like to use this quote, but he said, uh, it's better to know the rock of ages than the age of rocks. And, and that nails it, Son, because there have been some well-meaning Christians in our world today, they get so dogmatic. I mean, I, I've known a few people, they, you know, they've even said, well, if you don't accept the young earth and you're not going to believe G uh, Genesis literally, and you're not going to, you know, that's hogwash. Um, you know, Christians historically have not, um, by any stretch, all bought into the idea that the earth is 6,000 years old. Now, you know, if I sound a little bit wound up by that side, it's simply because I, I have seen that issue in a few cases um, as, as like a club that some people have used. And, and not only that, but it really, in many cases, does not help our gospel witness because there, there are so many people, including John Lennox, okay, who I quoted, um, who are convinced that the science, just the scientific evidence, does not support a young earth. And, and so there are so many Christians who are, you know, they either believe in an old earth or they don't, you know, they don't even attempt to, uh, you know, kind of like myself. I, mean, I don't know how old the earth is, but, um, you know, God knows. But, but to say that you have to, uh, except that very narrow interpretation of the age of the earth, it just, it, it's not biblical. And, and so I was driven back to scripture um, to really find that in the Bible, 
um, it really is open-ended there, son. And, and so there's no parameter on the front end of in the beginning. You know, you know I used to think, well, you know, Genesis 1-1 is kind of like when God started the clock, okay? And, and then we get, you know, we, we start right there, and then God creates the heavens and the earth. And so, I mean, I used to believe that. I mean, I used to believe that, you know, the earth could only be 6,000 years old. Um, but then as I looked at the Bible, I said, hey, wait a minute. The, the, Bible, the Bible doesn't say that. Um, the Bible doesn't address that. Um, any more than John 1-1 when it says, in the beginning was the Word. Any more than that's talking about a set number of years, and not at all. That's talking about eternity past. So I'll leave it at that, son. I think we're already seeing today that um, my answers are going much longer, maybe, than necessary. So just feel free to cut in, of course, anytime. Now, three things. One, I love the passion because that's what we need. Oftentimes we get just kind of blasé and wrote in things mm-hmm. that we do. And we lack passion. So I like the passion. The yes. second thing I liked was, uh, you know, scripture uh, interprets scripture. And that's what we need to continue mm-hmm. to go back to. And and then the third was, you know, while, while we try to understand things, and sometimes we can't, we also, by trying to understand things and creating answers, we put a limit on God and we put mm-hmm. a limit on what he can do. And we put a limit on his abilities. And like you said, yeah. so, so in this case, for example, if we say that, oh, in the beginning is the start of time. Well, that's yeah. capping God's power and we don't know what God's power is. And so we can't understand it. So we'd like to maybe try to put something on there to make us understand well, it. Fine, by and I'll, just, time. I'll make this very quick. I, I will just say in case any listeners are wondering about this, they might say, well, wait a minute, Dan, you seem pretty emphatic when you said 4,000 years of Old Testament history. I'm not quite getting where, where, what you're saying. And just so people understand, Son, um, the Bible gives us the ages, you know, of, of Adam and his children and so forth, and when, you know, how, old they, how, how many years they lived. It's because of that timeline that we know from Scripture that there were 4,000 years between, you know, Adam and then when Christ came on the scene. But what we're not told is, is, is what we've said, you know, uh, about the fact that um, there's there's no parameter on the front end of, of, of uh, Genesis 1-1. So that's the distinction. 4,000 years of Old Testament history, but that does not include uh, the creation of the world because God has not told us, you know, how old the earth is. And it certainly isn't something that is going to affect a person's salvation. And the only reason I even bring it up is because some people use a very narrow interpretation that I do not believe um, can can be found real clearly in Scripture, and they use that to, to almost club people over the head. Well, you have to believe this, or you're not believing the Bible. So, anyway, enough on that. Yeah, and just uh, you know, and, and it's and it's that that those scriptures, you know, the the parts in Scripture where it's like you know the boring aspects where we all skip over it. So and so begets. So and so begets. So and so begets. So and so. And so we just all skip right. over that because you know nobody knows one what begat means, and then two, it's just this long history of people we don't. <laughs> know but that's where that comes from because there is that history and we've talked about it in the past where the the bible is actually considered a historical book the theology of the bible may be debated but in scholarly uh, settings and and scenes the bible is actually considered a historical book and these things yeah you know that are stated in the bible are actually yeah. viewed as historical uh, accuracies as far as uh, them being happening. You know, the, the other thing that you well, said... Well, and, and, oh. and I'll tell you what, Son, I mean, historians have, have, have absolutely um, come to that same um, point that you just made, and, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, they rank up there with any, um, any authors of historical works, and we have far more manuscripts of, of the New Testament than any other ancient work of antiquity. I think maybe Homer's, uh, uh, the Iliad, maybe has just a handful of, maybe eight or something like this. And we have, you know, at least 2,500 manuscripts of the New Testament, or, or depending on, you know, how you're um, looking at them, even as many as 5,000. I mean, so, yes, as far as, to just support your point, Son, no one has to question the history of the Bible, because if you do, you might as well throw out all the history of the world that's ever been written about, because none of that history has the kind of, of, of support for it that, that, the, uh, that the Bible has in terms of its uh, historical account of what, of what actually happened. Talking with Dan Delzell, we're talking about, uh, like I said, we, we started this theme about uh, this conversation of, of Easter and then Easter and what came after Easter, because a lot of times people just forget about 
Christianity and, and the gospel after Easter and they move on with their lives, especially in the Corona filled environment that we're in right now. Cause we've got a lot of pressing things that we need to uh, look upon, but we're talking about kind of power, the power of the Holy spirit and how that affects us here today. And kind of like this discipleship where yeah. the disciples then took what Jesus did and then spread the gospel throughout the world. And one of the fascinating things, and, and for those of you that are, uh, of the uh, biblical knowledge. We're talking really about Acts 1 and 2. And one of the things that I found interesting about the book of Acts is that, okay, let me set the stage. First off, we're in today's technological society where you are in Nebraska, I'm in California, and we're actually having this conversation over a cell phone. A lot of right. uh, people go to the internet and a lot of ministries are on the internet and you've got social media, you've got websites, you've got video players, uh, the web goes around the world, you've got all kinds of tools and resources in which to put a message out there. I mean, we take our conversations and we put them up on the internet, uh, Facebook, Podbean, other places, you can get it on uh, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, podcasts, I mean, it goes everywhere. So just even our conversations have the ability to get out there. And, and actually go worldwide. But when you take a look at Acts, one of the things that I found that was really fascinating was the fact that here you have an, exp uh, an expansion of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome and then beyond. And it happens where there's really no money involved. You know, there really isn't any leader, so to speak. I know we have the disciples, yeah. but, you know, there's no, you know, we have all these prominent pastors, you know, take, let's just throw out a name that everybody knows, Billy Graham, for example. You know, there's really no yeah. proven leader, no technology. There's nothing out there except enormous obstacles that the disciples yeah. faced, and yet the gospel still spread from Jerusalem to Rome and beyond. That's such a good point, Son. And, you know, we, we've touched on this the last week or two is, as we've talked about, you know, things related to Easter, but just to, just to um, say one thing on that, to go right along with your point, you know, if someone is going to, in their own mind, attempt to um, deny the resurrection of Jesus, which, you know, more and more, even uh, professors in the academy today, um, you know, just listen to Gary Habermas, what he, what, how he describes how so many today have just come, uh, become convinced that Jesus did rise from the dead because of the evidence. And, and, and one of the greatest pieces is this piece that, you know, if you're going to deny the resurrection, you've got to come up with some other explanation for why, you know, these average Joes, you know, who were so um, despondent after Christ's death, what would lead them to go out and proclaim this message if they knew it wasn't true? And, and when, in fact, they knew it was true. But, but you know, to, to go to the counterpoint, um, you know, what would have led them, if you're going to deny the resurrection, to go out and preach this message, be willing to die for it, as many of them did, um, you've got to come up with something. And, and, and so, as again, as John, I heard John Lennox say, um, you know, it really takes more faith to believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Um, because then, then in, and even then, your, your faith is going to be based in what? Um, where's the evidence? Um, you know, people who reject the resurrection they're, they're placing their faith in that event. And, and, and for them, it's basically the, the faith is the belief that it didn't happen, but they're facing, they're, they're basing their faith in no evidence when the evidence um, is exactly the opposite. So it, it truly does take more faith to be an unbeliever, uh, to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. And, and, and as you say, son, they took it out to, you know, in Jerusalem and beyond. And, and this whole point, this whole time period here before um, Jesus ascended, um, you know, we're, we're told in Luke 24 that, that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Um, he, he told them that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day, uh, on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So, so this, of course, is pointing to the day of Pentecost. Um, stay in the city. Um, that was um, that was uh, what Jesus instructed them to do, and um, and then we're told in Acts one that when they arrived there in Jerusalem, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. So this upper room is where this thing is really gonna um, is really going to occur here when the Holy Spirit's going to fall down upon them, come upon them in power, and they're going to be um, given this this supernatural power to go out and proclaim this message 
And this, of course, son, was all God's plan from the beginning. But man, it was it was really happening at that time. It was it was. I mean, just imagine if you're one of those early disciples, you know, one of those original apostles. I mean, wow, they got in on the ground level of Christianity. Now, not without uh, great cost to themselves, um, you know, uh, martyrdom in, in, in most cases. But, um, you know, all of this stuff is real. As you said, son, it's historical. And most of all, it's life-changing. And so that's why you and I do have, and, and Christians uh, can have so much passion because these events really happen, and Jesus is alive today, and people are being converted today as we speak, son. All over the world, there are people who are coming to know Christ this very day. You mentioned Pentecost, and I want to get to that, but real quick, just a side note, what's the significance of Matthias? Because he becomes the, the disciple that replaces Judas, and then all they talk about is him being selected, and then he's, you know, like, like I guess, several of the other disciples. He's not mentioned anymore. So is there any significance with him? You, you know, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, any more significance you know, son, then with, with some of the other disciples, you know, it, it does seem that, you know, Peter, James, and, and John, of course, um, you know, they, of course, uh, seem to have a, a, a you know, special prominence, uh, but, but among the rest of the apostles, um, you know, the, the, there's just not, um, not a whole lot that we learn about them, um, and, you know, in, in many ways, you know, you and I um, can, can, can relate to that, that kind of a, of a, of a person, son, I think, I think God's desire is that is that none of us um, become known. You know uh, that, that, we, that we're not the, the the thing people are focused on or talking about. You know the world uh, says that you know, hey, you you should be concerned with your legacy. You should be concerned with what people are going to say about you. But I'll tell you what, son, the people that I find that are worried about that, um, they're so far from Jesus. And, and, and then they live and they die, and what do they have to live for? And people forget about them anyway, for the most part. So, so yeah, I think that's just one, you know, like you say, one, one apostle uh, replacing Judas there, where the Lord, um, he just kind of wants us to be uh, more average Joes in the sense. Uh, you know, people don't need to know our name uh, for any, uh, you know, real significant reason. They need to know the name of Jesus, and they need to know what he's about. And once they meet him, um, they can become as excited about the message as, the, as these first apostles were. Yeah, it's interesting because I never really thought about it until we were just kind of talking about it and he popped up. And I'm like, you know, because my conversations and, and what I've learned in the past is like, okay, Paul would have been the next 12th disciple and he came, you know, later on and that the disciples just acted on their own, but there's some falsity in there because there was a specific reason for him to show up and, and especially at this time. And so I was just kind of curious what your thoughts are. Well, um, and, and that, that, that makes a good point there, son, you know, none of those uh, apostles became apostles by accident. Um, not one of them. I mean, they all were chosen. I mean, Jesus even said that you did not choose me but I chose you. And, and even though we're not told nearly as much about some of them as we are about others, that doesn't mean that their role was less important. You know, it's like today in the church. Um, you know, the person maybe who was up in front speaking, you know, and generally that's the pastor, or maybe it's a, you know, if you have a worship leader, somebody else up in front. Um, those individuals are not more important than the one who's doing the work behind the scenes. Um, God has work for all of us. You know, uh, it says in Peter, if anyone speaks, you know, um, he should, he should speak as though he's speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So not all gifts are speaking gifts. Um, the speaking gifts tend to be more, um, highlighted. I mean, the ultimate of that would be like, you know, the Billy Graham. Uh, but then, you know, you, you've got all sorts of, of, of pastors who are very well known, you know, and, and who are given speaking gifts. But, uh, you know, the temptation would be to think, well, you know, those, those pastors are really the faithful ones and the less known ones, you know, uh, who have these other names that maybe we've never heard of, they're not nearly as important. But I think when we get to heaven, we might be very surprised at, at maybe who, um, who the Lord, uh, is, um, uh, maybe recognizing as the most faithful, uh, the most faithful Christians. And, and many times it won't be those, I don't think, who have been in the spotlight at all, uh, because uh, the spotlight actually is not a very good place for a Christian because uh, it can go to our head. It can, uh, it, can, it can tempt us to think that it's, it's at least partly about us when it's not. It's 100% about the Lord. And, um, and so uh, if we just walk humbly with the Lord and, and not worry about, you know, as, as that singer did, 
you know, will they remember my name, you know, in a century, you know, it's like, that is all of the flesh. When you get to the Holy Spirit, uh, we talked about this with the difference between magic and, and uh, God's power, divine power. You know, magic causes you to want to have a name for yourself, like Simon the Sorcerer. The flesh causes you to want to be, you know, a very well-known Christian or author or pastor or whatever it might be, you know, um, whereas the Holy Spirit in us motivates us to want Christ to be elevated and, and our name and, and ourselves to be in the background as much as possible so that the light Christ will shine through. So. Um, yeah, those are just good things, I think, for us always to uh, just to keep in mind. Yeah, and when we get to heaven, it might be the uh, people that work the nursery and church on Sunday mornings that are elevated, because I don't know if anybody's ever been to the nursery on a Sunday morning. Those people have their hands full. The- oh, my goodness, Son. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I, I'll tell you, I, I truly believe that uh, a Christian's motive um, is going to carry more weight in heaven in terms of, you know, just really what mattered to the Lord. What your motive was is going to be at least as important as um, the results. You know, when I say the results, I mean, um, whatever, you know, maybe, uh, you know, how many people came to know the Lord through you? Um, okay, that's very important that we try to do outreach. But um, it's also very important that we uh, that we have the right motive. And, and the right motive is, uh, for God to be glorified and, and us to just be as much as possible in the background. Now, you mentioned Pentecost, and, and then we come to that point in the conversation where it's Pentecost, and and they're all in one place together. And then as the King James Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto yeah. them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so then it goes on from there, and we'll get to that in a minute. But again, at least through the King James, and sometimes like the King's James because of the imagery and the language that's used, and I know in other versions it might be a different uh, imagery given out. But again, there's a lot going on. It's not just like we're sitting here kumbaya, and all of a sudden we're like, hey, this is great. It's like there's something going on here, and there's something mighty and something powerful. And if we might say... Uh, I don't want to say magical, but maybe supernatural that's happening to these guys as they're, and, and, maybe, even, and maybe even the women, the people, because I guess there was more than just the 12 disciples there. There was, you know, more people there. Uh, I think someplace I read maybe upwards of over 100 and maybe even more. But there's something mighty going on at this point. Oh, there absolutely is. And, and you know, in Acts 1-8, you know, just prior to this uh, great event in Acts 2, um, Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you know, son, this idea of power coming up on God's people for a purpose, um, you know, th- this is not a completely new concept, certainly not to the Bible. You know, for example, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10, uh, Samuel told Saul, the Spirit of the Lord will come up on you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Uh, and then as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were, were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at uh, Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. So if we think that the Holy Spirit wasn't active until Pentecost, um, you know, actually, you know, you know, the Spirit of God, uh, along with the Father, along with Jesus, has been active um, all the way back uh you know, from the beginning, um, you know, I mean, what, what did the Lord say? Let us make man in our image. So, you know, we, we, we see here that the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, a, a lot of people maybe would just kind of assume, well, I, I guess maybe the Father kind of created the world. Well, then we come to Colossians, and we think that Jesus is the creator of all things, you know, in, in heaven and earth. So, I mean, not to say they weren't all involved in, in, in these things, but, um, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, have, have moved powerfully since the beginning of time, and, and they were in existence, of course, before the beginning of time. And here in First Samuel 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them in power. Here in this, in this uh, example you just read there from the day of Pentecost, on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them so they would be witnesses. And so the Bible uses this uh, phrase, filled with the Spirit. Now, now of course, in the book of Acts, um, they all spoke in tongues. And, and that has just caused, uh, you know, some, some controversy over the centuries uh, in terms of how Christians have interpreted, you know, the raw tongues, you know. Um, 
I mean, you, you, you've got major denominational tracks that are laid out largely uh, based on how they view, you know, acts and, and speaking in tongues. I mean, you know, we, we think of, you know, the Pentecostal movement and charismatics. I mean, you know, Pentecostalism, um, you know, certainly at least traditional Pentecostalism certainly holds to um, the, the major tenets and, and doctrines of the Christian faith. Um, but at the same time, um, they, they teach that there is this, what they would call a second blessing or baptism of the Holy Spirit that a Christian is to receive after conversion, and, and that the way you know you receive that is that you speak in tongues as evidence of that. Meanwhile, you have many other Christians, like Billy Graham and many of, of that sort of thinking, who, who likewise believe in the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but who view it as though, you know, from, from the Bible, that we were baptized with the Holy Spirit at our conversion, and now we are to just seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But, but, but Billy Graham and, and, and those like him uh, do not teach that there is this, you know, um, this, this second baptism that the only way you, you know you have is if you speak in tongues. So, so there's a difference there, but where both groups agree is that um, a Christian is to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for the fullness of the Spirit, um, and I think both, both camps, if you will, son, can learn some things from one another. And one thing that helped me on this years ago when I was really studying this issue back in college, um, and I really was kind of thinking, well, okay, so who's right on this? I mean, are the Pentecostals right or not? You know, and, and I went to a Bible conference uh, in Iowa where George Ferber was speaking and um, just a great, uh, you know, missionary leader. And um, anyway, um, he wrote a little book called Revolution of Love and Balance. And uh, he loved giving out books. And uh, I think uh, he, they had, uh, maybe some still have the mercy ship where they go all over the world and, and, and kind of like what, what Samaritan's Purse does. But they go all around and, and they just meet social needs of people. But he gives out all sorts of books, you know, probably millions of books. But anyway, in this book, he had this point song where he said, you know, if he, if he studied that issue throughout the history of the Christian church, he found that there were men and women in both camps, you know, in both kind of the Pentecostal, second baptism camp, and then kind of, I'll call it the Billy Graham, you know, baptized with the Holy Spirit conversion camp. There are people, men and women in both camps who have been equally used by God throughout history. And when I read that song, it's like a light one. I said, hey, wait a minute. It's not either or, it's both in, okay? Um, it's not that the Pentecostals have to be right or wrong, and that, and that you know, Billy Graham's view has to be right or wrong. Um, I believe, you know, all you have to do is read Billy Graham's book on the Holy Spirit. And, and while it may not teach and it doesn't teach, you know, um, the, uh, what you would call just the very um, specific uh, Pentecostal understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it does nevertheless emphasize the need to be filled with the Spirit. And this is what people like D.L. Moody before him and others have emphasized. So we, we don't need to get caught up with semantics on that. So there's a lot more we could say on that. But, but, you know, uh, if, if a person says, well, you're a spiritual Christian, you really almost have to know a little bit about them to know what they mean by that. Because if they're Pentecostal, they're going to mean, do you speak in tongues? You know, have you received the, the, the gift of, of speaking in tongues? If they're not Pentecostal, then they're, they're not going to necessarily at all mean that one gift. They're going to be talking more about just the Holy Spirit, you know, filling your life and, and your life being under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. So, again, there's a lot we could say on that, but... Uh, um, you know, the, the bottom line is that every Christian needs the fullness of the Holy Spirit all day long, every day, you know, and that, that's just uh, obvious from, from the Bible. Yeah, you mentioned the speaking in tongues, and the interesting thing apart that, about that is that in Acts, when, the, when this happened, you know, you're talking about you're being in a city of Jerusalem, and there's people from all over that speak different languages. Maybe like a Los Angeles, for example, we have people from different yeah. countries that come here, and they all speak a different language. You might have Chinese, you yeah. might have Spanish, because you have people from Mexico, and then you have people from, you know, South America, and then you have people from, you know, Russia, wherever. So you get all these people that are speaking different languages. And so it would be yeah. like somebody's standing up in downtown LA speaking maybe in uh, Hebrew, I don't know, but everybody hears them. And so, yeah. and, and so I've had debates too, where, um, or conversations where is the miracle in the speaking or is the miracle in the hearing? But when it comes down yeah. to it, the fact of the matter is regardless of the logistics of it, yeah. people were hearing the message. And Amen. they were hearing what the apostles yeah. were, were saying, and they were hearing the message. And then sadly enough, 
there was some that still mocked them and said they must be drunk. They must be with full with new wine or whatever. And they yeah. even, and so even then they get rejected right away. But the, but the, the power of it is, as we talk about the power of this is that people were hearing no matter what their language was, no matter where they came from, if they were there listening, they were hearing the message of the gospel. Well, that, that's right, son. And, and for 2000 years now, what, what's just so incredible is that um, the same person, the person of the Holy Spirit who came upon them on the day of Pentecost, that same person, he has been uh, present in the world for the, two, for the past 2,000 years, um, filling Christians with power uh, to witness. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a key verse in Ephesians uh, 5, 18, where Paul writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this is a key verse on, on the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit song for a number of reasons. But, but um, the, the, the Greek word there, the, the tense of the verb uh, to be filled, it literally means, son, keep on being filled. So, so it, you know, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is, it was never intended to be a one-time uh, event only. Uh, you know, uh, some, I think maybe it was Moody, you know, when he was asked for who, what was some well-known Christian was asked if you received or have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, uh, have you received the second blessing? That was the question. And he said, yes, I received the second blessing and the third and the fourth and the fifth. The, the, the point is, son, that, that yes, Christians need to hunger and thirst for the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Many will testify that, that, they, that there did seem to be a point uh, in their prayers where they, they kind of entered this new realm of power, this new realm of power for prayer, uh, etc. I mean, we certainly want to encourage all Christians to hunger and thirst for, for more power, for prayer and witness. Um, and, and, and for those who do then um, testify that they speak in tongues, then, you know, we, we, we certainly want to um, encourage their, their faithful use of God's gifts and, and in a way that does not draw attention to um, the individual uh, and, and also to help them around some of the pitfalls that some have fallen into where they start to magnify the gift more than the giver or where they start to use that as kind of a badge of superior Christianity, and then it becomes very divisive. I mean, there's some real uh, dangers. Now, having said that, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, I believe the gifts are still um, are still in, in, in God's people and in the church today, including the gift of tongues. But, but most, well, well, most of all, what, what Christians need um, is to be filled with the Spirit. And here's something D.L. Moody said about being filled from that is very insightful. Um, he said, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit, ambition and self-seeking, pleasure in the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. I also believe that many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is full already with something else. Before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray that he would empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when the heart is turned upside down and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the Spirit will come. And, and, and this is very, very important song for, for Christians today um, because we need um, the Holy Spirit. But before we can be filled, we need to be emptied. Um, and, and that's a, a daily call on our lives to be emptied of any, any of those things that D.L. Moody mentioned or any other sins or distractions, temptations in our life that, that would keep us from the fullness. Um, you know, in Ephesians, it says, do not grieve the spirit of God. So if, if we're offending the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit until we stop offending him. You know, it's like, you know, you and I are, are, are both husbands. So, you know, we, we know um, that, you know, if you're doing something that's offending your wife, um, you, you could pray all day long for joy in marriage, but you're not going to have joy in your marriage until you stop offending your wife with whatever you're doing to offend her. I mean, it's just natural. I mean, it's just uh, basic. You, you cannot be in a relationship that is full of power and joy if, if you're doing something that is greatly offending the other. So with the Holy Spirit, we have to be very sensitive in that. Um, he will show us, you know, things. He'll convict us in our hearts of those things that grieve him. And, and we're going to know many times, Todd, because we're going to sense like, man, I don't feel good about that. Or I just don't have peace with, you know, the way I'm thinking on that issue or the way I'm handling that or the way I'm doing that. Uh, and we can always seek counsel of other Christians, of course, always, first of all, in the word of God. Um, and, uh, and the Lord will show us because he wants 
he wants us to be empty. And so God certainly wants to show us those things that are grieving him. And we just need to come to him with an open heart. Uh, you know, kind of like the psalmist, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, now there's a prayer sign of, of, of saying, Lord, hey, I want to be emptied so I can be filled. Uh, and then just to, to cry out to God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is what um, we, we need as much today as they did there on the day of Pentecost, Son. Yeah, and for people that might not know, Pentecost, a couple things I'd like to get your response to, but uh, Pentecost, first off, is the day when the law was given. And now Pentecost here today, and and what we're talking about, is when the uh, grace is given, really, I guess, if you can put it that way, or the gospel is given. So, you know, first, the law was given on Pentecost. Now, Jesus fulfilled that law, and now grace is given as the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes down. And the, the, so that's one significant thing of Pentecost was it was a significant day. It just wasn't any other day. There was a significance to Jesus fulfilling the law. Now things are changing. Second, um, which I find fascinating, is that, okay, they're in Jerusalem, and there's a lot of people from different places around, and I'm sure there's probably some educated people, scholarly people, businessmen, women, you know, whatever, and there's a lot of people of influence, perhaps. And then you've got these Galileans, as they are called. And I guess the idea of the time was that if you're from Galilee, maybe, or maybe the disciples or the apostles were looked upon as now maybe being uneducated, you know, fishermen and whatever profession they might have been. And now all of a sudden they're talking in a language that everybody's hearing and they're speaking fluently and they're speaking with, you know, intelligence. And so not only do you have the, the miracle of this speaking in tongues, which is basically just speaking so that everybody that's there can hear you. But you also have these people that are pretty much considered dumb. And they're the ones that are eloquently speaking in all these languages for everybody to hear at one time. And they're speaking yeah. with authority on a matter that nobody else really knows about yet, because this is something that is now new, which is the gospel. Well, and you know, isn't that, isn't that exactly um, like God, son, to to do something to show his power and glory in a way that only God could do it. I mean, anybody who had an open mind or open heart and, and would listen to what you just said, uh, you know, and to those people uh, speaking in, in, in a language, there's no way they could have known. But it was a miracle of God. It was God's sign, God's stamp, God's moving there in, in that uh, situation so that um, really— so that so a testament to the fact that God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, um, I mean, people who go out and do Bible translation, I mean, that has to be very close to the heart of God. Um, you know, our, our, our daughter, uh, Sarah, has some very good friends. We've gotten to know them, you know, quite well over the years, uh, but Carl and Destiny, and, and uh, you know, they, they've been training uh, uh, now for a while to go out and be Bible translators. And so, uh, you know, just the amount of time and work that it, it, it takes to go, you know, to, to another land to learn the language and then to, um, to really put the, the word of God into that language so that people can understand. I mean, this is what God wants. He wants people to understand the message. Um, so we have to get it out in, in their languages. And, and uh, the day of Pentecost was doing that in such a supernatural way. I mean, I, I'm sure if you ask, you know, Carl, I mean, all this studying that, that uh, he, you know, will, will be required of, of this uh, new language. I mean, if you say, Carl, what if God just kind of zapped you and all of a sudden you knew it? It's just speaking. I mean, yeah, of course, you know, uh, that would be amazing. But um, now, now what we're not told, though, Son, of course, is, is that this was some sort of permanent ability necessarily that, that um, you know, when they, when they went forth, that they were, you know, still speaking um, in, 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 in the other languages. I mean, that, that was a very unusual, um, a very unusual outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, you, you really don't hear of any uh, missionaries today who, who, who would say, well, you know, uh, I didn't know the language and, and God filled me with the Holy Spirit. And now I know the language. I mean, I'm not saying that that hasn't happened or couldn't happen, but, um, you know, the day of Pentecost was just so unique and, and uh, it was so purposeful and the amount of power that these um, disciples received, you know, uh, and, and so that these apostles could go out and reach, you know, reach the world for Christ. It, it was needed. And, uh, and we just thank God uh, for the Holy Spirit. We thank the Holy Spirit for, you know, his power and his desire uh, to see people come to know Jesus. Well, the other thing, too, we like to think of God and 
religion and Christianity is a passive thing, a boring thing. We go to church on Sundays, we sit in the pews, we listen, you know, someone speak for maybe 30, 40, 50, two hours. And so what we don't really understand though, is that the, the power behind all this, because as, as I'm thinking of Pentecost and, and people are speaking in Jerusalem and all these other people are hearing and understanding, you can't tell me that this is like a big, like, kickoff rally because you got to realize that if these people that heard the disciples in Jerusalem did not go back to their own lands and start talking to the other people in their homeland and saying, Hey, this is what I witnessed while I was in Jerusalem. These people came and started speaking and everybody was understanding what they were saying. And then as the gospel spreads, perhaps I'm speculating here, so don't take it as gospel, but perhaps then people are like, Hey, is these the people that we heard of that were speaking in Jerusalem. I want to now go hear them. And so maybe this was a big way for God opening the doors for the gospels to be received in other parts of the world, because there was already some intrigue behind what they had heard on the day of Pentecost with these, you know, Galileans, these disciples speaking for everybody to understand. Well, you know, um, that, that, that is so true, son. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've got a quote here that kind of goes along with that, uh, in a large way. Uh, Tom Farrell uh, said, why wouldn't we expect God to use his word to convert? In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, a fisherman who had, once, or who had denied Christ now declared him. Because of his declaration, 3,000 people came to Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so with Peter's sermon uh, that day and, and 3,000 converted upon, or like with these people, as you just mentioned, you know, returning um, you know, to their homeland and, and bearing witness to the gospel— um, the Lord is all about bringing people to know him. Uh, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And, and, uh, and so this, uh, this topic, um, you know, that you chose for today, um, it, it's always going to be relevant, son. Um, for as long as Christians are, are, are here on earth until the Lord brings us home to heaven, because there will always be people who need to know him, and there will always be a need for Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses, which is why the Bible says the Holy Spirit was poured out. I mean, it, the gift of tongues, you know, that, that, that's a huge blessing, but it is definitely um, down the list of benefits, um, you know, that the key for being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is so that other people will come to, to know Christ, and faith comes uh, through hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Yeah, and as you take a look as, uh, at all this, and people wonder about this and that, the main thing to remember through all the conversation is that the the message is that Jesus rose again. The gospel is there for everybody. The word is true, no matter how we hear of it. The word is true, and that's the thing that we need to cling to is the word. And today that word is in the Bible, and we just need to go back to the yeah. Bible, and we need to just be able to read that and understand it and, you know, be involved in it because that's how God is talking to us today is through the scriptures. And so um, anything else? I know this is, there's a, a vast conversation and I know a, a couple of times yeah. you've said there's different yeah. roads we can go down to take it this way or that way. Yeah. But um, as we kind of yeah. conclude yeah. here, is there anything, any other point that maybe we missed or that you'd like to just add to the conversation? Well, you know, maybe, maybe just this, you know, uh, I, I quoted uh, Tom Farrell uh, a moment ago. He had another quote here where he said, son, apart from the power of the Holy spirit, you don't have a sermon, you just have a lecture. Um, and I thought that was very good. And then Charles Spurgeon said he preaches best who preaches and believes for souls every time. Um, you know, one, one final thought I have, Son, um, I just felt led to, to go online here this past week and, and just, um, uh, you know, listen to one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons. I mean, of course, you know, it would be someone reading one of his sermons um, you know, from, you know, uh, 150, 170 years ago. Um, but, but anyway, um, I listened to a message online uh, about conversing with God and it was so insightful and it made the, just the point you just made a moment ago, Son, about God speaks today through the word. In fact, I started to write an article, um, for the Christian post, uh, you know, how, how to communicate, um, you know, with the Lord. I, I forget the exact title I have on it, but anyway, um, perhaps in two weeks, I know we kind of talked about discussing maybe hell next week, um, but maybe in a couple of weeks, time, uh, especially since you, you made that excellent point there about God speaks to the word, you know, it'd be great to have a discussion on, um, what does it mean to communicate with God? And, and I'll just put this little teaser out there. I mean, um, for any listener, you know, 
Um, had you ever wanted to have a, a conversation, let's say with a friend, where you got together with your friend, whether it be five minutes or 30 minutes, and you were the only one that did the talking? I mean, you know, we, we, we call that a lecture, not a conversation, you know. And, and, and so, um, you know, I'd love to have us talk, Son, about how does God converse with us today? How does he, you know, how is the word used as far as God speaking to us? And then prayer, of course, we, we generally just think about our side of it, our petitions, our thanksgiving, our confession, you know. But, but there are two parts to that, aren't there? there? You know, there are two people involved in every conversation. So, you know, I think that would be at some point uh, when it might fit in with your, uh, with your uh, schedule of, of topics. Um, I think that would be a great, a great one for us to cover. Yeah, I would agree. I think we need to definitely explore that and do that and, um, and talk about that because it is important. We oftentimes do have just a one-way conversation. And that's us talking to God, and we don't have time to, to yeah. be still and know yeah. that he is God. And um, the final well, Tom, th- think about how many people, ourselves included right now, through this whole lockdown with the coronavirus. I mean, what better time for us to listen to God than when we have all of this time and, and all of these concerns? And so, uh, again, I, I think it would be very timely uh, if, we, uh, if we address that issue and it will help us and, and hopefully every, every listener. Yeah, I think the My Pillow guy got up there during a, a press conference one time yeah. with the president and was saying now might be a time to go back and read our Bibles and, and reflect. Amen. And so, you know, here's a, the pillow guy that everybody knows as the yeah. pillow guy who is telling us, you know, giving us some great advice on what we should be able to do. Um, and, and you know what, son? The, the, the pillow guy, he just, he just is a living testimony of two things that we talked about. The main one today we talked about was the power of the Holy Spirit to witness. The pillow guy's doing that. And then the second one is just what we briefly touched upon, um, you know, hearing from God in his word, the Bible. So, I mean, there he is out there on a very large stage, um, you know, witnessing for Christ. So uh, praise the Lord for his boldness and his faithfulness um, to what God's called him to do. Yeah, and it brings me to kind of my final thought, which comes from Acts 2, 46 and 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And basically that just kind of reminds me of, you know, the Christian experience is daily, should be joyful and simple, and yet a good example. Uh, we should be the good example so that others can follow because if we do that, then God, his prescription for the church is to grow the church. And if we, keep, and if we do our part, then God will take care of growing the church himself and we don't have to worry about all that. And so just by someone going in front of a press conference and, and sharing his experience and his advice, you know, and then living it because I know he's done a lot of, you know, uh, philanthropic things with his pillow company, the, my pillow guy, you know? And so just by living that example, you know, he's not a pastor, he's not anything. Yeah. And we've talked about, you know, yeah. Matthias and other people that have been used and Galileans who have been used, you know, yeah. just, and here's, yeah. so here's a guy yeah. that creates like pillows and, and, bed stuff, but yeah, he had an, he had an opportunity and he took the most of that opportunity. So God can use us. And by using us and just being the example, we don't have to necessarily be thumping people over the head with the Bible. We could just be the example and God will take care of the church and growing it by using us and the example that we are, if we do it the right way. And I love the verse you quoted there in Acts, and the Lord added to their number daily those who uh, were being saved. What a fitting conclusion today, Son, because when we began today, very early on, you know, I, I, uh, I mentioned uh, God's initiative when, um, when, when the Lord uh, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then we talked about how, um, you know, Jesus there after his resurrection uh, was uh, meeting with his uh, disciples and, and he breathed on them. And, and so whether it's God uh, breathing the Holy Spirit upon disciples, whether it's God breathing life in the man in Genesis, or whether it's the Lord adding to the church, here's what we see in all of those thoughts. God is the initiator. You know, so often we think, you know, we got to get out there in front. We got to get this done. We have to achieve these goals or have this vision or whatever. You know what? If we'll just delight ourselves in the Lord and, and, and figure out what he wants us doing day by day, being in communication with him, witnessing and, and serving uh, with the gifts he's given us, you know, God is more than able to, um, to, to provide the power and the results that, that he wants. So that's a great kind of fitting conclusion, I think, to this, so that we remember through all of it, it's all about God, and, and he'll, he'll take care of his church. He's been doing this for a long time. You know, the gates of, of hell uh, shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, 
and and they never will. And and so we're we're uh, you know if you if you're a believer in Jesus, you're on the winning team, and uh, Satan's on the losing team. He's already been defeated. So we we, we rejoice in, in Christ today, tomorrow, and forever. And Dan, if somebody wants to accept Christ, maybe they've been listening, and maybe God's touching their heart. If they want to. Uh, accept Christ and be on that winning team. How can they go about doing that? Yeah, I would just uh, encourage you, my friend, if, if the Lord has spoken to you today and, and, and uh, you're um, really feeling uh, like, hey, you know, I need Christ in my life. Um, I just would invite you just to pray this prayer along with me, just a very simple prayer of, of just confessing your faith and, and to cry in Christ and your sin. Why don't you just maybe repeat after me if you'd like to, uh, you know, Lord Jesus, uh, I, I am a sinner. Um, and I cannot save myself. Uh, I've broken your commandments. But, but Lord, I believe that you came from heaven and that you lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and rose again on the third day so that I could be forgiven. Your death, Jesus, uh, was the payment for my sin. And so I ask you to wash away my sin, cleanse me with the blood that you shed. And then, Lord, please fill me with the Holy Spirit so that the power, the joy, the peace, Uh, will just overflow in my heart. And then teach me, Lord, what pleases you. Teach me what grieves you so I can avoid those things. And and help me to be a a faithful witness in my home, uh, on my job, in my church. And if I don't have a church, you know, for those who don't, then Lord, help me to get connected to a good church. Help me, Lord, in that uh, pursuit. Um, Make those connections so that I can be in a church where your word will feed my soul um, every week. And so thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior and my friend. Uh, I pray this in your saving name. Amen. Dan Delzell, thank you so much. As always, we appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to our future conversations. And uh, people can find you at the Christian Post. Just uh, search your name. And then also, if they want to reach out to you, is there like an email maybe or someplace they can reach out to you if they want more questions? Yeah, or... they can reach out to me at, uh, at dandelzell at cox.net, cox.net. D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L, and and also, Son, if they wanted to just uh, search for Redeemer in Papillion, uh, P-A-P-I-L-L-I-O-N, Papillion, Nebraska, um, there are probably about five recent uh, messages uh, here during this lockdown that you could find on there, you know, of course, you know, on Easter, before and after Easter, uh, but some messages that they might find uh, helpful and encouraging uh, to their faith. Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it. We look forward to next week. And um, it's just, as always, it's a pleasure having you on. Well, thank you, Son, for all you're doing. And it's always a pleasure to, uh, to have these visits with you. And I'll uh, sure be looking forward to next week as well. And to those listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, you can follow me at, uh, on Instagram at EdemRocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. You can also uh, direct message me there if you have any uh, comments or anything. Uh, but until next time, God bless.